Welcome to Conversations on Coast Access Radio. In this program we have conversations with people about their interests, their lives, the things that motivate and excite them. So relax and enjoy this conversation. This program is also heard on Radio Kidnappers. When we say songs like Damn the Dam, Lovely Lady, Apple Wine, Higher Trails, and we think conservation, there's one person in New Zealand you think of, and that's John Hanlon. And John Hanlon joins me from the deep, dark depths of somewhere in rural Auckland. John, what a delight, what a pleasure. It's sad to put a a net over you with those songs because you're a heck of a lot more than just that from the 1970s. Uh, yes, um, I think it was um, it was Dan the Dam and, uh, and a subsequent song called I Care. Um, that's right, I Care for the Fishes in the yeah, Sea. That's a, yeah, it was, it was, I, I, frankly, I like that song better. Couldn't sing it for my life now because it was much too high and registered. <laughs> but... Um, those sorts of things, but I think it was more a case of, in those days, anybody talking about uh, conservation or the environment in general was seen to be novel, if not a bit bloody, you know, left wing and green. <laughs> you know, I was always always amused. I was, of course, variously accused of being a pinko or a greenie. They used to think, "Well, make up your mind. You're <laughs> colour blind." Um, and I think it was more that. You know, it was novel, and, and those those sorts of. Um, Opinions, if I'll call them that, or that point of view, was seen as you know a, a bit off the beaten track. Of course, now it's pretty much the way everybody thinks, isn't it? Part of the reason, I guess, for the relevance you could say of this conversation at the moment, John, is you have a brand new album out. Um, yes, I have. Um, I, I I had a I looked down the barrel of my mortality recently. It was back in New Zealand. I had a hereditary. Um, uh, renal condition mm. and you know the, the, the possibility of you know departing this mortal coil was uh, on the on the card so I had about uh, 60 or 70 songs that I had done nothing with so I gave um, I went up and recorded them as guitar and voice demos and sent them to uh, with Bruce Lynch here in New Zealand and a mm. friend of mine called Russell Finch in Australia and said you guys want to pick some tracks to do um, and we'll you know, I can't afford to do them all, let's be honest, so let's try and do, let's, let's record, I said, let's record about 20 and then we'll pick it up. <laughs> and then, of course, I got dreadfully sick, I got a transplant, I nearly died. And uh, luckily I had managed to do some vocals um, uh, or, um, before I went there. And so the guys just produced, turned out they produced 23 tracks of all various genres, because I write across various genres. And I, I said, when I came out of hospital, I said, look, do them all. I've got a feeling this, this, this is going to be for posterity, this <laughs> album. I'm going to be my last thing. So you have a very long album. Not that the tracks are all that long. The album's called Naked Truths. And, I mean, to be fair, you know, we talked about a lot of your 70s music. You have actually put other albums out between now and then. Yeah. I think that's best, uh, best encapsulated in... Um, an album I did through Ode. I actually had the encouragement of Ode. Um, we did uh, a double CD compilation called After the Dam Broke, and I had one CD with um, tracks that were released uh, or recorded before 1980. I say recorded because there were some tracks that were never released that I put on there. 
called our, our boy one was called Bounce to me anyways there, there were tracks before 1980 and then there's a second CD with tracks after 1980 and most people are completely unaware of the work that I did in, in recent years not, sure. not least of those recording in, uh, in Australia are all the tracks on Naked Truths are they all relatively new songs John? oh yeah they're all very new yeah hell yeah they're very new I've got about another six yeah, so all the tracks on um, Naked Truths are new. The vast proportion of them, I think the only one that was that was written while I was still in Australia is a track called um, The Girls Around Here. But everything else was um, written since I've been back in New Zealand, living out here in the, the rural part of New Zealand. And I guess every song on the album has a slightly different story somewhere. Oh, yeah, there's a story to every single um, uh, um, song. I'm slowly... Um, Writing about the, the um, I'm writing about the songs on um, on my blog johnhanlon.co.nz. I have a blog, and I and I'm also on Facebook, so you can go to Facebook and get through to the things. So I think I've written about um, the songs I've written about are um, uh, the, the on a boulevard in Saint Germain. I write I write about that. I also wrote about a song called "Isn't It a Lovely Day," which has had a deceptively saccharine sound to it. But when you listen to the lyrics, it's, it's, I call it my blog's called the sugar-coated pill. In other words, the outside's very sweet, but the inside maybe not so much. Quite a variety of, of genres, I guess That's you could right, say. Yeah. 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 Uh, what I've always written in genres is, you know, the tr- truth of the matter is, there's no such thing as a John Hanlon song. You know, John Hanlon music. I, John Hanlon is a songwriter who writes in various genres. That, that's, um, that will be more accurate. Yeah, the, so, old, the old Forrest Gump, you never know what you get in that box of chocolates. That's exactly right with this album. The best way to describe it is I'm wandering down a street full of music, various bands and musicians and maybe a guitar on the side of the road, and I go down a side street and I'll do it. I'll go in with a small jazz band and do some songs. Then I'll go and do it with a little band, and then I might be just a guitar. You know, I think there's one song that's just one electric guitar and me. That's it. There's mm. nothing else. Um, so it's pretty sparse in there. But the, the the brief was to have no more than five instruments on any track, which is cheating a bit because an instrument could be um, a string synthesizer. So you know, you, you you might get a string sound, but it's actually only one instrument. Are you playing yourself? No, I don't play. I mean, I, I'm told, I'm assured that the guitar from my demos is in, the, in some of the tracks, <laughs> but I can't hear it. <laughs> they're, uh, they're, they're there, but I haven't, uh, I haven't heard it. Thoroughly enjoyable album. We'll play a track or two off this a uh, little later on. You're more than a songwriter. I mean, you've also had books out, Stealing Smokes, for example, yeah. uh, some amazing short stories. Yes, and, uh, and Stealing Smokes is interesting because uh, it's received great reviews, not just from people who write, write reviews, but you know the people on sites like Goodreads and places like that, where people have actually read the book and put out reviews. But I cannot tell it for the life of me. I'm told that um, um, I'm told that I need to write a novel, and to be frank, the world doesn't need another novel, and I'm not sure it needs one from me because I haven't had a good idea yet. But the stories are good. They're amusing. I mean, I'm not saying they are. I, I enjoy reading them myself. I forget that I wrote them. They're a mixture of... Uh, they're, all, they're all songs that you think you're reading one story, and when you get to the end, you realize you're, it's not the story you think you were reading, you weren't reading. That's what I've done. 
Uh, some of them fiction, some of them non-fiction. There's a whole mixed bag uh, of there's, things. There's, there's a mixed bag. Probably the only, only one that's um, true, absolutely true, is um, The Swimming Lesson, I think it's called, which is, I call the boy Collins. My name is John Collins. It pretty much tells the story of what happened to me once when I was a little boy in Singapore. Yeah. As well as that, golf was a big passion. I remember you years ago doing an interview regarding uh, a, go a book on golfing. That's right. I wrote a book called Golf, A Course in Life, and it's basically 72 lessons. Of, it seems 72 seems an appropriate number. And it's a series <laughs> of uh, metaphors or analogies. Uh, basically, you know, I'll say something uh, about golf, which, which as a, applies to golf as a golf lesson, but it actually applies to life as a life lesson. And, and, and you could probably do that with any sport, but golf in particular, because you, you're required to be so honest yourself. You keep your own score. You, you constantly hear of golfers leading a tournament, and then they call the referee and say, look, I'm sorry, my ball moved. Nobody else in the world saw it. You know, they lose the, they lose the tournament by one shot through a penalty they called on themselves. Well, it's the sort of spirit of that that um, led me to writing the book. And I was lucky enough to have... Um, Murray Deeker say it was the best book on sport he ever read. After subsequently, Murray became a mate. <laughs> I went to see him. I said, oh, I like you. Two, <laughs> two more opposite people I couldn't think of, John. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you've, when you get to know Murray, he's actually got a heart of gold, mate. He really has. He's yeah, I'm sure. Really, he's the real deal, in my opinion. That's great. Um, he's still around, Murray Deeker? Yes, he's still around. Yeah, he's still kicking around, still walking golf courses, mate. You know, better than more, which is more than I can do these days. In fact, I hardly can play my back of God. Mm. You're an interesting chap in the sense that you think of John Hanlon and you think there's your quintessential New Zealander. You actually weren't born in New Zealand. No, I wasn't. In, and until we were, I was 15, we, we, we didn't really settle in New Zealand. I was born in um, Malaya and I came here when I was like three months or four months old. Mm. We had an interesting time, which my mother explained to me. We lived in tents and an old caterpillar bulldozer box and, until we finally, Dad finally built the house. Uh, and then we went back to Singapore when I was four, and we stayed there till I was eight. Back here till I was ten, then back to Malaya. And we were in Malaya basically until I was 15, but my parents moved over into the jungle in the state of Bahang, and so I had to go to boarding school in West Australia. So I say goodbye and... January and hello again in December, and that went on for a few years. Multilingual you are, I'm assuming? And no, I, well, I used to be able to speak Malay fluently, but I can't. Although I, I took my wife back there. She went into the sea where I was born. I married a, a Russian classical violinist who was living in Barcelona, and it turns out that she was born in, in the part of Siberia. That's pretty well, if you drew a line from where she lived straight down, you just about go through Kuala Lumpur where I was born. Yeah. So she wanted to go and see it, so I thought, oh, well, I'll go back. I don't really like going back to places because my memories of Malaysia, or it's called Malaysia now, but my memories of Malaya are fantastic. So they were, they were, it was just, I know it was very colonial and it was very unexplored and all that sort of stuff, but it was fantastic. Now, of course, it's like anywhere, the whole world's a shopping mall, isn't it? You know, so. but plus, you speak a little bit of Australian, so you could argue in this. Yeah, I can speak Australian. <laughs> I lived there for a long time. I lived there for 33 years, and my, I, am, uh, I have, you know, we all know the, the, the goods and the bads about Australia, but in my view, they, they have the best nicknames in the world. They have, they're gifted with the ability to 
just nail somebody with a nickname. Mm. I was always always pissed off that I never really got one. The best I ever got was JH, which is about as unimaginative as you can think. You sound like you should be on original Perrin TV program with a name like JH. Um, JH, yeah. Sorry, JH. Yeah, that'd be something. So, uh, but, you know, I said, um, you know, my, you mentioned about, you know, that I'm doing certain things. The greatest surprise I've had lately is I, I went to art school. I was originally going to be a commercial artist, like many songwriters, by the way. They, they go to art school. And after I came out of art school with my, you know, my portfolio and my ambition, I quickly realized the best I was ever going to be was a mediocre commercial artist because there were so many good ones out there. And my, my life took various turns. I was very lucky in what happened with my life. So, but in about 2011, when I didn't care anymore, I picked up the brushes and I recently started exposing my art on Facebook. I'm getting more fans for my art than I ever had for my music. That's fantastic. That's great. <laughs> And I thought, geez, I wasted an entire career here. <laughs> <laughs> when you were growing up, you know, as a preteen teenager, did you yeah. ever think you wanted to be a singer? You didn't want to be. Never crossed my mind. I mean, this story's been told a thousand times. Yeah. I, um, my reason for picking up a guitar as shallow as can be was those of us who are old enough to remember will remember that on the back of comics there used to be uh, an ad that said something along the lines of they laughed when I sat down to play the piano. I, and I thought, oh, what if I could play? Because I was unbelievably shy. And um, the, uh, we used to, as you know, we moved around. We just, I moved around from various countries. And so I had arrived back in New Zealand at 15 years of age, having spent the last three years, those important for the years, in an all-boys boarding school. And I arrived back at a co-ed school in New Zealand, and the 15-year-old girl is approximately 10 years older than the 15-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, tongue-tied and all that, and, and all of that. And I thought, wow, what if, maybe if I could play the guitar, you know, that we, we could make a... Uh, and I'm, I, I'm, I believe I'm not the only person to have gone down this road. <laughs> um, you know, and I love the Beatles. I absolutely love the Beatles. And... Um, in fact, they were the first. That because of them, I actually got interested in who wrote the songs. You know, and I suddenly realised that somebody wrote the songs, uh, and so I tried to learn Beatles songs that I would then play at wherever, or whatever, at parties, and then I would be popular. Well, first of all, I was too musically incompetent to be able to learn these songs, and secondly, I was so bloody shy. I was never going to play in front of people anyway. So. Um, uh, it, it never really happened. So I used to sit in my my uh, bedroom and yeah, I was writing poetry. I, I'd always been a writer. I'd run a, I think I, I was very young when I won my first national essay prize in New Zealand. The prize, actually the book was sent to me in New Zealand. I'd forgotten that I'd done it and I didn't. I thought, what's this book for? What did I win this for? It turned out that I'd won a um, competition in New Zealand and, and some of the people in Howick, the kids in Howick, sent it to me in the land. So I'd always written, so I, so I basically had these poems and I started to write songs. In an, I still have it, by the way, have an old exercise book, school exercise book. And on the back of the book is all those conversion charts for weights and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And in the book is my first song, the first songs I ever wrote. And, I, and some of those I would have recorded on uh, Floating, my first album. Wow. That's, that's impressive. That's, that's an amazing story. 
line to hear. Should we take a little break? I want to play a song from your album. Make a choice for me, John. From Make a Choice? Nothing like putting well, you on the spot. I know. Nothing like putting you on Why don't we start with the very, very first song, Six to Four, because old people wonder what the hell it's all about. Six to Four. That reminds me of the Chicago 25 or Six to Four. But, yeah. Mm. Six right. to Four. Let's okay. play that. Here we okay. go. That's from John Hanlon's latest Naked Truths album. All right, so what's that about then, John? Well, it's very simple. I I was sitting down, I really like this tune, and I was sitting down, I don't know much about music. I famously don't know what the hell's going on. I I famously don't know much about music. And um, I was 
writing the solo, I thought, I think I've just written a solo in six six four time. It turns out I wrote it. It's it's in actually um, uh, what is it? It's in, it's in twelve eight. I mean, I know it's 12 8. What the difference between 12 8 and 6 4 is, I do not know. Double speed. Um, I don't know. You know. I don't know. I've got no idea. So, um, I think, I, you know, because it goes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3, 4, mm. that sort of thing. So I thought, oh, I get it's a 6 4 song. So I better, I, and I thought, what can I do with 6 I'll, I'll have a little musician's joke here and do 6 4. So it ended up being a song about you know, people partying, one of those, you know, people the goodbye it's been nice things and yeah, and the, the, it ends up with the words two to one at six to four in other words the person walks out the door um, and now it's time down to two to one at six to four six to four in the morning she said you know because she takes everything you know she's she's Russian and she thinks in about five different languages as these <laughs> multilingual people do and she said to me this is very ironic this <laughs> of the chorus, which this is, to the fools and lovers who go dancing in the rain, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. But, you know, so it was just a little song. I like it. I mean, I was very, very happy with it. Yeah, it's similar to the Chicago song, for those that don't know, 25 or 6 to 4. Apparently it's a it's a song about, you know, the early morning hours. In yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. So mm. uh, there you go. Yeah. So, but my mine, mine came out with it, and, and it turned out I, could, I should have done 12 to 8, which... <laughs> Wouldn't have worked as well as six to four, I don't think. So the nineteen seventies, John, you were the voice of of conservation. You were Mister Conservation, essentially in New Zealand. How did you feel about that? Um, it was very interesting. The, politi- the politics of all that sort of thing. I, I was also, you know, I've spoken against the Vietnam War and saved the whales and things like that. But I could remember walking out of a Save the Whales um, forum, I suppose you'd call it, where all these different Save the Whales organisations were were there in the Auckland University and uh, myself and a man called Frank Robson who was possibly the world's expert in dolphins in those days ended up walking out because all these people started arguing about who had the right to represent the dolphins I thought really the politics of that um, and then say with anti-war you know I used to have anti- would go in marches until one day I was just walking down the road and people started firing skyrockets if you can remember what a skyrocket was mm-hmm. into the crowd and I thought who are these lunatics they're just here for a riot they're not here for any cause mm-hmm. so I stopped I, I would talk and I would write songs but I wouldn't um, you know, I remember doing an anti-nuke thing where they asked me to march and I wouldn't do it so, but I, I sung at the end of it actually wrote a really nice song called Boats Upon My Heart it's one of those songs that nobody here knows but it's on record and um and when I said I didn't want that, there was this thing had morphed into an anti-American uh, um, uh, march, and I, I pointed out to everybody that yeah, actually America was the only place that would let us, only nuclear power that would let us have this march, because Russia and China sure as hell wouldn't. And, uh, and I got booed and hissed and everything like that. So um, you know, sometimes it, when you tell the truth, it, it's not all that popular. You're the you're sort of the the anti pop superstar of New Zealand in a in a vague sense. Yeah, I was I, I, I was a sort of an accidental pop star. I mean, we, we you know we were talking about my career, and I thought it we segued from me not performing in public to having what was turned out to be a four album record career. Now that was because I happened to be singing at a party in uh, Hamilton, not 
I did it. And, turned, and there was a man in the room who owned a recording studio, man in the room from Auckland. We were down in Hamilton. And he said, I own a recording studio. And I thought, yeah, sure, you do. Well, he did. <laughs> he said, yeah. I went up to Auckland and he recorded this big tape and gave it to a man called, unfortunately, no longer with us, called Tim Murdoch. Tim heard it and gave me a four album record contract. Yeah, that's not bad for a guy who didn't want to do it. That's yeah, pretty well, it's good. unbelievable. And not only that, the first album, Floating, sold to my mother and about four other people. But Tim just kept going. And of course, the next one was Garden Fresh, because that, and that, of course, was history. Garden Fresh and Higher Trails did all kinds of records. Quite an amazing career. I suspect you probably won't be touring the country necessarily playing pubs and venues. I mean, it would be lovely to see and hear you somewhere down towards Kapiti, Hortofena, would you? I, look, I'll, this is what I intend doing. Um, my problem was that I didn't want to, and I got offered lots and lots of tours over the years, but I just am not one of those guys who wants to do a Remember When tour. You mm. know, um, like um, I began life as an artist, and I guess that at my heart, in my heart I'm still an artist. And artists don't paint the same picture for 40 years or 50 years or however long. And so I would do a, a version of Dad the Dam and Higher Trails and maybe... Um, I did an apple wine or what, but I'd have to do them at least. I think I did, uh, for those of you who are musically inclined, I, I, I did Higher Trails in E, and I'm pretty sure I'd have to do it in C now. So that's how much my voice is like out from, from what it was. It's a very famous song, probably just before you got fame and fortune, um, Rick Nelson's Garden Party, if you remember yeah. that. I mean, yeah. that was essentially a song, I don't want to do my old stuff anymore, I'm not, I'm sick to death of that, and then. He sort of got booed off stage and never heard from again. Uh, yeah, well, it, you, you, got, you have to do your... You, it, and for him, of course, it was slightly different because he was actually a country artist at heart, and they turned him into a... What, that, the record industry, they, they famously tried to do this to Anika Moa. You've made her our own, mm. Anika Moa. She went to him, and they tried to turn her into something that she wasn't. She was a great songwriter, but they wanted her to be, you know, fit into the mold, and of course, Anika Moa's never going to fit into anybody's mold, is she? She's... She's a decamar. She's who she is. Yeah. And um, well, I think with Rick Nelson, he came from a family that was he was on TV since he was a kid, you know. And everybody wanted him to be something that he was. I think his kids went on to form a to sort of a rock band. I think they were just called Nelson from memory. I don't really know uh, what happened. What I do know though is that um, when I released Apple Wine, um, Barry Jenkins, who I admired then and still admire, but he I don't think he really liked my music, Barry. And he he went on air and basically pilloried me for, for stealing ga um, Garden Party <laughs> with with Apple Wine. I said, I had to listen to it and I go and I thought, Oh, I could hear that, you know, no fair papa. Uh, you could probably say that's um went to a garden party. But I thought, well actually if you want to take a country song, I don't think there's too much original in country song. You want some of my apple wine? Yeah, it was. No, I think it was the No Fair Papa. No Fair Papa. He's all good. And of course, I was nowhere near that. I was trying. I was writing a country song. It was one of my first <laughs> attempts to write a country song. And country mm -hmm. songs have a certain, you know, you, as, a, as a friend of mine said, mate, there's only twelve notes. They go up and down against each other. Sooner or later, you're bound to go, you're bound to play something that somebody's played before. Uh. John, let's just say congratulations on the new album, Naked Truths, John Hanlon, and the blog, if you want to read more about it, johnhanlon.co.nz, the books and everything else. John, what a delight to 
chat with you, and I'm delighted the health has, has come right for now. So yes. congratulations, and keep it that way, please. I, I will. I, I will. And I will appear, by the way. I'll be going around doing small. I'll be doing doing small shows. I don't want to do big shows anymore. And uh, we'll see. You know, as soon as my health enables me to do this, I will. Good stuff. John Hanlon, our topic of conversations for this week here at Coast Access Radio. I'm thinking of when on a bridge across the sand there were lovers dancing in the street Music in the night Everything felt right That's when I found my feet Moment of romance that happened quite by chance. Nothing too dramatic, just a little touch of magic on a boulevard in Saint Germain. You've been listening to Conversations on Coast Access Radio, a programme where we talk with people about their lives, their passions, their interests. This programme is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.